If you have your scriptures or the few Bibles in, in front of you, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. We're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 21. Uh, we've been going through the book of Ephesians uh, throughout uh, the summer weeks and months, and this morning we, we've hit chapter uh, 5. Uh, before we read the passage, let me set it up uh, like this uh, a, a little bit, get us uh, there. This section, as you know, which we talked about the last couple of weeks, is Paul being very practical. Uh, by practical, I mean he's given us commandments, he's given us imperatives, he's given us application, uh, if you will, uh, into our lives. Uh, he's uh, showing us this is what the Christian life is. Uh, he's shown us in the first three chapters, this is what God has done for us, uh, to unite us to himself, to save us, so to speak, laid that foundation. Now he's moving from that to saying, this live in light of that truth. And he's given us some specifics of what that looks like, what we would call the, the Christian life. Now, as we talk about, uh, you hear the word application, and you talk about living the Christian life, uh, you, you think change. You think, uh, what does this text mean for me? And all of us have different responses when we think about uh, application and, and change and spiritual change. Some of us think, yes, I desperately want change in my life. I am tired, I'm weary with the sin that I've been carrying around, the things that have been happening. I desperately want to see some change. I want to see my heart grow and, and, and be shaped by the reality of this word. Some of us hear spiritual change and we think, that's great for the guy next to me. Uh, I know somebody that really needs to hear this message, that really needs to hear this uh, point about the scriptures and, and what the, the Bible is talking about here. Or some of us think we hear this idea of spiritual change and we think, I don't think so. I like my life. I like how things are going. I'm comfortable. And we're just, we're reticent. We're hesitant to think about change, to kind of evaluate our lives and see if areas where we need to uh, make some growth in because it would feel too awkward. Some of us think of spiritual change and we think that's what God does in other people's lives. That's a reality for other people. I don't think he really does that in my life. Or that's great for other people. If other people want to apply the Bible to their lives, that's, that's really neat. But that's just not who God is to me and I don't believe he's going to do that uh, in my life. We all have these different responses to spiritual change and to application from the scriptures. Sometimes in our, our house, uh, things can get kind of chaotic when you've got two little ones, two kind of, not little ones, but almost big ones, uh, medium size, maybe pint size, okay? If we were at Starbucks, they would be the tall size, okay? Not the, the venti or the grande, but they're getting there. And it gets kind of distracting, it gets kind of loud and noisy, and, and I've got to uh, do something. I've got to study something. I've got to read something or trying to do my devotions or Bible study or something like that. And I need kind of a distraction free environment. And so I'll put in some earbuds, I'll put in some, some headphones and I'll turn on some music, not word music, but just kind of instrumental music, just kind of up at a certain volume where I hear the music and it kind of drowns out everything that's going on around me. And I can just focus on this, not worry about everything, anything else that distracts me. As we read this passage, and we walk through all the things that Paul talks about here, and he just inundates us with commandments and imperatives, and evaluate this, and do this, and do better at this, the music I want you to hear 
in, the, in your head as, as we're reading this text and as you're studying it, as you're evaluating your heart, is that you belong to the Lord. That you are a dearly beloved child of God, as verse 2 talks about. That you are chosen in Him, as chapter 1 talks about. That God has called you to Himself. That God, in chapter 2, has made that you that were spiritually dead, He's made you alive in Christ. That you are His child, dearly loved. Let that music, let that, uh, those, that promise, that truth, that reality be playing in your head as we hear this passage, because I think it will enable us to move towards application, it will enable us to move towards the change that God wants for us. So as you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 5, I'll start in verse 1. Let's hear God's Word. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Verse 11. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what is disobedient, what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk with wine, which lends to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make, make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is God's word. It's absolutely true and it's given to us in love. Would you pray with me? Father God, I pray. Pray that the, the meditations of our hearts and minds, the words of my mouth, would be pleasing to you and that you would work your truth in your life within us as your church. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Something I'm always amazed at when, it, when I spot it in my family, and I, and I noticed it more and more, I'm noticing it more frequently as the kids get older, is how they will say something, they'll say a phrase, and I'll be like, that is exactly what your mother says. And it's like, amazing. Or she'll, uh, one of the children will make a certain gesture, a hand movement or a facial expression, 
And it'll be like, that is just like your mother. I mean, it's the exact, exactly what she does. And it, it, parents, you know this. Grandparents, you know this. You, you, you know that your, your children pick up um, phrases. They pick up your mannerisms. They pick up your gestures. They pick up your habits because they live with you, because they're imitating you. That They're seeing what you're doing, and they're doing the same thing. Now, as a parent, that scares me to death because I think I don't want a bunch of little me's running around with all my flaws for the world to see, but that's the reality, is they, uh, they will imitate. They pick up the things that we do because they're watching us all the time. Paul, in this text here, in, in the beginning, urges us to be followers of God. Uh, the ESV talks about it as being an imitator of God. Because as you follow, as you walk with, as you know, the, the idea is that you would imitate, that you would take on those characteristics, that we as believers, as a church, would take on the characteristics of who God is, the character of God, the values of God, uh, the, the, the passion uh, that he has, the zeal that he has for his glory. Those things would be ours as well. You think about uh, an, an imitator or a follower. You think of uh, an actor who impersonates somebody. They pick up their mannerisms. They pick up their, their voice, their cadence, uh, the words that they use, and they just imitate it. That word imitate comes from the, has connected word counterfeit. You think about counterfeit money. It's a copy, but it's, it, it resembles the real thing in all but maybe one or two ways that only a trained eye can really see and recognize. And this is Paul's overarching commandment to follow, to be an imitator of God as he introduces chapter 5 to us. And there's this metaphor that's kind of woven throughout this passage as well. He talks about walk. Uh, as you walk or as you live your life, be an imitator of God. And so in light of this overarching commandment to, to follow and be an imitator, I want us to look at this passage in three ways, or here's the outline I want us to have as we look through this. I want to think about walking. As, as believers, what does it look like to, to walk the Christian life? Walking in love, walking in the light, and walking carefully, okay? So I want us to consider what does it look like to walk in love, walk in the light, and walk carefully or walk wisely. First one, walking in love. Uh, Paul is quick to point out uh, to walk and love means saying no, that there are things in our lives, things uh, that we have to respond to in our culture with the words no, that we have to have these distinct boundaries about us. Um, look at verse 3. He says, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. Paul is, is talking about even small compromises are out of place. As you think about the things that you see, the things you're able to see on the computer, the things you're able to, to, to Google, if you will, on the computer, there shouldn't even be a hint of those things running through our minds, that we would root those things out quickly. Because Paul knows there's this tendency for those things to progress. If even the smallest hint is left in our hearts and in our lives, it's going to snowball. It's going to move forward. Nobody wakes up one day and says, you know what, I think I'm going to be unfaithful uh, to my spouse. It takes place over time. It's weeks and months that, that sin 
is, is, is growing bigger and bigger, and then it explodes to something uh, more visible. And Paul encouraging us here to, to say no to those things. Don't even allow a hint of that to be present in your life. Verse 5, no immortal, impure, or greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And what Paul is, is thinking about here, he's talking about a particular type of person. Uh, everybody has moments when we, we fall into the trap of maybe doing something that's immoral or something that's impure or something that's greedy. But we repent of it, we turn from it, and we uh, seek healing, we seek grace with it. But Paul is talking about the person that's characterized by those things. The kingdom is not theirs. Maybe think about uh, a criminal. Uh, is a criminal capable of doing good things? Yes. He can help somebody across the street. Um, he can do good things, but that's not who he is. He's a criminal. He's somebody who breaks the law. That's the type of person that he is. There's one word that Paul, I, I found interesting and helpful as we t- think about saying no, as we think about walking in, in love, as we think about really the nature of sin, it's in verse 5. He says, no immortal, immoral, impure, or greedy person, and then he says, such a person is an idolater. He puts that label of idolatry on them for who they are and, and what they are doing. Now think of adultery, idolatry as somebody that can do something that's externally right, but internally they have the wrong motives. Externally it looks like they're doing the right thing, but internally it's the wrong motive. They're not serving uh, the right way. They're not doing it for the right reasons. Let me back up. What's the first commandment? It's the first commandment the Ten Commandments, okay? You shall have no other God before me. Meaning God is ultimate. If you love anything else beyond God, uh, more than God, above God, then it's idolatry, basically. Uh, you're putting a higher, uh, you're putting a, your affections, your hope, your desire, your love on something that's, that's not God. And when you do that, ultimately you're going to be set up to fail. Because at some point, that idol that you have, it's going to fail you. Sometimes we, hold, we put up a family as an idol. We can put up our job as an idol, our status as an idol, where that thing is, that's our security, that's our hope, that's, our, that's who we are, that's where we get our strength from. And if you do that, Paul is warning us, someday that's going to fail you. Or you're going to live your life uh, stressed out about it being taken away from you. Uh, if it's, your, if it's your, your looks, you're stressed out about your body uh, failing and, get, and aging. If it's family, you're stressed out about it being lost. If it's your children, you're stressed about them leaving. My point is we can make an idol out of good things, honorable things. And all those things are, are worthy of our love and our affection. But if they're more than God, then they're set up as an idol in our lives. And those things govern our lives and not God himself. And that's why I say you can do something that looks externally great, but internally you have the wrong motives. Your, your love is somewhere else and not where it should be. You think about how Paul encourages us, uh, gives us maybe the, the energy to say no, to be walking in love. It's in verse 4, in dealing with the idols in our hearts. He says, Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, 
which are not out of which are out of place and then he says but rather thanksgiving what does paul want us to cultivate he says cultivate thanksgiving in light of the, all the things that are going around you, a lot of stuff that you need to, to say no to, one way that you help say no to those things is you cultivate thanksgiving. Now think about it. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. He's writing to a church. He's writing to believers. Uh, they understand the gospel. They get the gospel. They, they, they are Christians. And yet Paul it tells them to cultivate this thanksgiving. And it gives us a hint as why we can be full of thanksgiving. It's because of what God has done. He rescued you. He redeemed you. Before the foundations of the world, he thought about you. He knew your name. And he said, I want you to be one of my children. I want you to know my grace and mercy, my forgiveness. I want you to know the reality of my son and what he's done for you. And it's like we look back on that and we cultivate thankfulness based upon that. And as we cultivate thankfulness, as we cultivate gratitude, we're able to say no. We're able to move away from those things that look so appealing at the time. They look so right at the time. But when we're living in thankfulness, when we're living in reality, this is what God has done for me. This is who he is. This is the foundation of my life. We're able to cultivate this thankfulness. And so the easy question is from this text, where do you need to say no? What things are you looking at that you need to stop looking at? What conversations are you having that you need to stop having? What uh, relationship might you be engaged with that you need to stop engaging in? Paul is saying, if we're going to walk in love, we need to be able to say no to improper things. The next thing is walking in light. And he says this, this picture of walking in light, I'm looking at from verses 8 through uh, 14. And let me set it up like this. Let me set it up with this. World War II, of course, you had the Holocaust part of that. Uh, the, the good guys come in. They defeat Germany. They defeat the Nazis, discover the concentration camps, and they capture and put on trial many of those who were responsible for those atrocities. But one of the men that got away, Adolf Eichmann, ran away and went into hiding for a number of years. But he was soon discovered, arrested, and brought to trial. In about 1961-ish, he was put on trial, and because there were still individuals alive who were in the camps and, and saw all the things that he had done, they brought these men and women into court, and they would give testimony to what uh, Eichmann had done. And one uh, testimony, one, one man coming into the courtroom is going to share his testimony. He's walking in, it's crowded, it's getting this... Uh, getting a lot of attention. And the man walks in and he sees Eichmann sitting there and he begins to cry uncontrollably. Just this ex uh, bottle up emotion just comes out of him, just, just crying and weeping, crying out. And because the courtroom was so packed, it got kind of chaotic and the judge had to quiet things down. And the guy, the man went on to, to give his testimony. But afterwards, because there were so many reporters there, of course, they pulled him aside and they said, why were you so upset when you walked in the courtroom and, and saw Eichmann sitting there? What, what was it? And he said, I walked in and I saw him. And I saw that he wasn't a demon. He wasn't a monster. He wasn't superhuman. But he was a man. And he was a man like me. And I saw that I was 
capable of doing the same kinds of things that he did. In other words, he saw the darkness in his own heart. And Paul, in verse 11, says this. He says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Paul knows who he's writing to. He knows that the, the, the seriousness of our flesh and our sin nature, and he knows that there's still darkness there. That things that don't bring honor and glory to Christ. Things that are, that are out of bounds uh, with Scripture. Out of bounds with what it means to be a follower. And he's saying, you need to expose those things. You need to bring those things into the light. They can't be ignored. Uh, you can't manage them. Uh, you can't try to, to stay away from them with, with, um, with obedience, and, I mean with uh, self-discipline. But you've got to expose those things. You've got to bring those things into the light. And maybe you catch the tension a little bit. Paul's saying, you know, don't be in darkness, don't live in darkness, but you've got to expose those things and bring them to the light. And you get the tension of, it's like saying, son, I want you to clean your room, but I don't want you to touch anything uh, that's dirty. You know, how am I supposed to clean my room and keep away from the dirt at the same time? Well, think about it like this. Verse 8, you were once darkness, remember he's talking to Christians, but now you are light in the Lord. What's he doing? He's saying this is who you are. As you think about the dark things in your heart, the, the things that are not appropriate, or the dark things in your community and your relationships and you think about exposing them remember who you are you are light which sounds great but what does he mean by light look at verse 9 you get a little bit of a hint he says goodness righteousness and truth the only way this is really going to come home for us is to begin to remember remember who you are remember paul is writing chapter 5 in the context of the first three chapters this is what god has done he is your Lord. He's given you Christ as his son. And when you put your faith and trust in him, when you were born again, when you were united, when you believed in him, you were united to him. And by that I mean the things that are true of him are now true of you. That's why you're light in the Lord, because you have his righteousness. You have his truth. All we bring to the table is our brokenness. We just bring our sin. We bring our darkness. And God exposes it. He gives us the person and work of his son. As you think about exposing darkness, whether it's in your own heart or in your relationships or other areas, remember you are light in the sense that you belong to Christ. You're united to him and you have him working in and through you. The last thing is this, walking uh, carefully. Look at verse 15. Paul says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but wise. Other translations have it as look carefully then how you walk. Walk, live, the same thing. Paul urging us to walk in wisdom, uh, to walk carefully, to walk um, uh, appropriately, uh, if you will. And so there's three things I want us to, to think about related to what does it mean to walk carefully? What does it mean to, walk, to mean to walk wisely? Uh, the first one is this. To walk carefully or wisely means you walk with a sense of spiritual experience and know-how. You walk with a sense of spiritual experience and know-how. And this is what I mean by that. 
you understand the Bible. It's one thing to know the Bible and have a knowledge of the Bible and knowledge of theology and knowledge of doctrine, but you're actively applying that to your life. You're taking that truth and you're applying it to your heart. For example, you know God is your heavenly Father and He cares for you and nothing happens in your life that He doesn't know about. You apply that to your heart when you're fearful, when you're stressed, when things are uncertain. You're able to say, God is my Father. He loves me. He knows what's going on. I can trust Him. I don't have to be consumed with worry. It means taking into account and believing that God is sovereign. Or think about it like this, that God is at work. That that is a foundational truth. That God loves me. I know He loves me because He's given me a son. I see it on the cross. There's no doubt that He cares for me. He's met my ultimate need, my ultimate problem. He has dealt with it. And I interpret my life in light of that truth. Particularly when good things or bad things happen. Uh, we're able to, to say, I, I don't know why this is happening, but I know that God is sovereign. I know that he's in control, and I know he's at work. It means living thorough. It means living thoughtfully. It means living intentionally. You want to live with wisdom. You want to live carefully. You've got to be intentional. You've got to be wise. Uh, you are meaning you're not going to just wake up one day, for example, and say, you know what, I want to pray. Most of us never wake up with a desire to pray, but when you start praying, you want to pray. That's what I mean by being intentional. Uh, we, we don't wait for the desire to strike us, but we're acting in obedience out of response to his word. The second one, living carefully uh, with wisdom means redeeming your time. You clearly saw this in verse 16. He says, redeem the time. And when he says time there, that word time is not so much like the 60s time or the 80s time, this long period of time, but he's talking about time in the sense of this moment, uh, this, this day in your life, to redeem that time, to redeem that moment, to make the most of that moment, because you don't know what tomorrow holds. The days are evil. The days are uncertain. There could be catastrophe that's waiting around the corner for you, so make the most of your time now. Cultivate these things now. Live the Christian life now. Grow in the Christian life now because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what you're going to face tomorrow. And if you live thoughtfully, intentionally now, you're better equipped for what's down the road. The third thing, third mark, another mark, last one, is to walk carefully means being filled with the Spirit. You see this in verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. You think, well, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, what does he compare it to? Don't get drunk with wine. Uh, don't let alcohol consume, uh, consume you. Don't let it control you. Instead, being controlled by something else. Be controlled by the Spirit. Don't be controlled by that, but be controlled by the Spirit and who he is. But still, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? 19 through 21 helps a little bit. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. I, I read that passage because being filled with the Spirit means in part it, there's a relational dynamic by being filled with the Spirit. You're relating to God, certainly here by worship, adoring Him, exalting Him. But we're, it also means how we relate to one another. We're, 
we're gracious with one another. There's a spirit of a thankfulness and, and invitation and welcome with one another, a sense of submitting to one another, uh, humility before one another. You get that picture of that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Or maybe think about it like this. If you took the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians and, li- and put them together and line them up, you would see all these parallels between because they're such similar books. And so, for example, in Colossians chapter 3, 16, Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Holy Spirit, let, that, let him dwell in you richly, but let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Those two things go together. Uh, to, to be filled with more of the Spirit, to have him more active in our lives and be controlled by him, means we need the word of God. You need the scriptures in your life. You need God's promises God's stories, God's commandments in your life. Which means we need to spend time in his word. Not devotionals, not our daily bread, but reading the Bible. Reading the Gospels. Reading the Epistles. Reading uh, the Old Testament, the Psalms and the Proverbs. Reading those truths and getting the real thing. And let the word of Christ god's word dwell in you let it control you let it be shaping and forming you and when you do that you're able to walk in love you're able to say no to things you're able to walk in the light god's word is what exposes the dark things in us most of us are doing things that we don't even know are wrong they're inappropriate or or, or rubbing people the wrong way until we get in front of the word and we say you know what I, i guess i am kind of prideful I thought I was just confident. You see how God's word works. It shapes us. It helps us redeem the time. It says, this is what's important. This is what you need to be about. This is how you need to spend your time. This is not how you need to think about your kids' schedules and your schedule and what you're doing. Let me close with this thought. You read this passage again. There is so much. There is uh, commandment after commandment after commandment in this. And there's so much to think about and there's so much to process and what paul's doing is he's simply saying you need to evaluate your lives if you belong to christ if you put your faith and trust in him and in christ is is real to you you've got to evaluate your life you've got to think about how you are living because there may be some areas that you need to change we're always changing as christians it's the nature of who we are there's always things that we're uh exposing and, and moving out of in areas where we're growing in more wisdom. And as you think about change and you think about why you should be doing it, you'll think about, well, because it's a real warning. If I don't, something really bad's going to happen. Yes, you reap what you sow. I mean, if you're, if you're doing bad things, you're going to be found out and it's going to be a problem. Uh, we're told that there, there's condemnation that comes. Uh, from living a certain uh, way there's that kind of motivation we want to stay away from that condemnation um we just don't want to participate in a life of of sin because of its ugliness we get all those motives that are there and and they're they're good they're helpful in their own ways but i want you to think about that overriding motive that we have to be walking in love to be walking in the light to be walking carefully to be walking wisely It's what Paul has said at the beginning. You are a dearly beloved child. Think about that. You are dearly beloved by God. 
You think about a beloved child. They're adored. They get all kinds of attention. They get great gifts. They get great stuff. They, they're, they're loved and they're paid attention to. And God loves you like that. He's already shown you how much he loves you by coming and dying on the cross. You are his dearly beloved child. And God says to us, walk wisely, walk carefully, because you've been so accepted, because you've been so loved. Live out of response to what God has done in and through you. Will you pray with me? Father God, by your grace, we are your children. You're your people. We're your church. That you would come and bring us to yourself is amazing. Father God, I pray that you would make us a church and a people who believe this and work this into our hearts, into our understanding, into our identity. That we are your people, loved fully and completely. And in light of that, we would live with wisdom. We would live with your spirit. We would live, to live in tune with your word. That you would give us the grace to say no. To move away from things that are harmful, that are inappropriate. Whether it's in our language or in our minds or in our relationships. That you would work because we need you. Because we're deeply loved by you. And we ask in Christ's name, amen.